broad topic that influences everyone. Treasure that lies in our country. There's actually a possibility to make the change. And include everybody in the transition that we need to make. It's not only a matter of environment, but it's also a matter of people. Hello everyone and welcome to Bioeconomy Matters. This is your host Hayley Chantar and we have some positive news for you today. Planet positivity. Planet positivity. Planet positivity. Your positive news about sustainability. Hey everyone, welcome to Planet Positivity. Today we are exploring three fascinating projects that showcase the power of creativity research and community engagement in driving positive change. First up, let's talk about a new development in battery technology. Halcyon Energy, a Boston-area startup, has introduced a rechargeable water-based battery that could potentially rival lithium-ion batteries in performance, but at a fraction of the cost. This innovative battery not only utilizes inexpensive materials like manganese and metal oxide, but is also based on water, making it safer and more environmentally friendly. By avoiding the drawbacks of lithium-ion batteries such as fire hazards and environmental impact from mining and with its simple recycling process, this water-based battery represents a significant leap forward in energy storage technology. Next, let's turn our attention to green roofs and their potential to mitigate urban heat islands and promote biodiversity. While green roofs offers numerous benefits, their effectiveness can decline over time, especially when planted with non-native species in sterile soils. A Dartmouth-led research team embarked on a groundbreaking experiment in Chicago to enhance soil with navy prairie microbes, particularly beneficial mycorrhizal fungi. By promoting healthy soil development, this approach not only improves the resilience of green roofs, but also fosters urban biodiversity, providing habitats for plants, pollinators and wildlife. Lastly, let's take a journey to the shores of Chesapeake Bay, where the Biodiversity Tree project is flourishing. It started in 2013 by scientists from the Smithsonian Environmental Research Center. This ambitious project aims to restore naturally diverse coastal forests by planting thousands of tree samplings across the center's campus. A decade later, the area is teeming with a variety of tree species demonstrating the benefits of diverse forests. With over 100 volunteers pitching in to plant and maintain the forests, the Biodiversity Tree Project exemplifies the power of community involvement in environmental conservation and research. Whether it's developing safer batteries, enhancing urban green spaces or restoring coastal forests, each project contributes to a more sustainable and resilient future. These stories remind us that positive change is possible when we harness innovation, scientific inquiry and community engagement. I hope you enjoy the positive news. Let's keep smiling until the next episode. Hello everyone and welcome to Bioeconomy Matters. This is your host Hayley Chantar who is now back in Europe. And you could say my welcome back has not been as warm because I think I just caught a cold. 
Um, in today's episode, we will be exploring the intersection between the textile industry and bioeconomy. With us today, we have Mr. Edwin Key, the CEO of the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textiles and Apparel, but I'll let him introduce himself. Edwin, welcome to our podcast. Haley, th- uh, thanks for having me, and I hope you get well soon. Thank you. So how I found out about the Hong Kong Research Institute of Textiles and Apparel was actually, I was going through Instagram and I saw this reel um, about the innovation textile industry. And I was like, oh, that looks so interesting. And then I found out it was in Hong Kong, actually. And I was living in Hong Kong at the time, so I decided to reach out and Long story short, here we are today. So thank you very much for finding the time to meet with me. Wow, I didn't even realize we were on Instagram. That's yeah, cool. Hey, we're not cool. <laughs> yeah, it was quite a good reel, actually. It was very captivating. I believe it must have been about your open lab, which we'll get to shortly. Uh-huh. But first, perhaps um, you could introduce yourself to our guests. Sure, sure. So I'm Edwin. Um, I run the Research Institute for Textile and Apparel. We are an applied research center, and we work on um, solutions for the for the industry. We work in in we cover very fairly broad areas. Uh, we we work on materials, we work on uh, systems, we work on engineering solutions, and we work on supply chain solutions. And we, uh, our, our research is in three major domains. So we work on uh, solutions to sustainability. So uh, that is uh, circularity, recycling, and carbon neutrality, other big themes there. We work on industry 4.0, so automation and intelligence in, in the supply chain. And then we thirdly work on an area that we call social good, which is just how do we take the outputs for things that we work on and and have broader application in society so that we can use these same materials or systems for things like elderly care, for better health, uh, for, for, for safety, uh, for high performance sports, uh, and so on and so forth. And so um, we are, we are pu- publicly funded and not-for-profit. Uh, I am sitting here in the, uh, in the, uh, on campus at the Polytechnic University where they have a great school uh, for, for, for textile and, and design, and we use a lot of their equipment. Our laboratories are about five subway stops that way. We, uh, um, we have about uh, 80 in-house research scientists, and we also contract a lot of our research out to other universities and uh, research organizations. So we, in total, at any one time, have somewhere around 500 other scientists working on projects with us. I think that's more than what you want to know about us. No, it's perfect. And I was wondering, what inspired you to start this? Because it sounds like a very interesting project, but I also know that you have some experience working with Walmart and H&M. So I'm very curious about how you went into the whole yeah, environmentalism and textile and... First of all, I didn't start the research institute. I, I've been with the, with the institute for about twelve years. The the, the institute itself uh, is an attempt to f- figure out how Hong Kong, as a as as a as a place, can cr- continue to add value to the textile, apparel, fashion supply chain. You know, Hong Kong, uh, mid middle of last century, was a manufacturer. 
of, of, of yarns and fibers and fabric. And then it was in apparel manufacturer. And then it was a logistics center. And there was a financial center. And so the question was, what what is the what is the future role of, of, of a place like Hong Kong? And one of the the um, the answers was that we should be a place where you can find solutions to some of the, the most important challenges for the industry. And then we went around and surveyed stakeholders, industry stakeholders. And we just, well, what are the most critical issues that you are dealing with today? And, and how can a research center like ours be, be useful? And sustainability uh, was very clearly number one. Uh, Industry 4.0, of course, also came up because we are moving very quickly from a, uh, let's say, a skill-based labor-intensive industry to very much a technology-based industry with a a lot more focus on automation, intelligence, and other tools like that. Uh, And and so those were quite obvious areas for us to, to engage. And then the general desire for, for us to be continue to be relevant to, to the societies that, that we operate in beyond just being a, a fashion component, just, just to aesthetically look good, but to have useful applications. So, uh, so for instance, when the pandemic struck, how can we use uh, textile apparel and, and fiber as a, as a, as a filtration uh, medium or as a way to protect uh, people so that they can stay healthy. So all those became uh, research themes for us. I myself am not a research scientist. I come from industry. I spent about 30 years in industry uh, in various roles, managing supply chains and uh, global businesses. Um, But I got to a point in which I wanted to continue to be useful, but not as an industry operator, but as someone who is making contributions either in 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 research or in uh, innovation or just articulating thoughts and so about uh, about 12 years ago, I became this, uh, this center's uh, CEO. I was invited to be the, the center's CEO. And I also teach uh, um, in, in university uh, operations and, and production management and things like that. So turning more towards the physical open lab, what about it makes it sustainable? What are the technicalities behind it? Like, right. Is it the textile, the technology? So the open lab, came out of a conversation uh, uh, I had with um, with the H&M Foundation. And the H&M Foundation uh, supports a lot of our sustainability research, and, and they've been doing that for a long time, and, and several of our big breakthroughs are, were funded uh, by them. And the question was asked, how can we scale up sustainable solutions faster? How can we look at sustainability as a multidisciplined challenge uh, that requires multidiscipline solutions. And how can we help people look at these things at scale and really think about the not only the scientific uh, challenges, but maybe the engineering challenges, the business case, the logistics, and all the other issues that we, we need to solve before we have useful and relevant uh, solutions for, for sustainability. And so the the idea is to... Uh, create three things in, in in one place. First and foremost, the Open Lab is a is a collaboration platform. Um, we have completed about uh, 60, 70 projects in our portfolio of projects that relate to sustainability, circularity, and recycling. And we wanted to house this in a place where it is it is easy for people to a- access to for for people to be able to 
look at these as maybe pieces of a puzzle that, that can help solve uh, multiple problems. So we say, what if we, we have a, a space where people can come uh, either to look at what, what we're doing and find solutions that may be useful to them, or if they come with the challenges that they are trying to uh, to solve or, or uh, challenges that their that particular uh, organization is is facing and they want to look for some solutions. And so we'll come over to the open lab and you can come uh, spend some time with us uh, as, a, as a resident. Uh, you can come if you want to just spend some time uh, looking at curious, interesting research. So as an intern, or you can just come and bring your, your, your challenges with us. And what we can do is we try, we can try to create solutions uh, with what we have, create new research projects if we don't have uh, solutions for you, or uh, we, we point you in, in the right direction of where the opportunities lie for, for solutions if we, if we don't have them in-house. And also to to build uh, partnerships and platforms. And what if you come with a problem and we pull a research cohort or group together uh, with similar challenges, uh, uh, and and then we work on it together. Uh, so if a brand comes, maybe we work with also their suppliers, we work with their manufacturers, and we work with technology providers, and together maybe we can build a solution together. So that's the first piece of the Open Lab. It's just a a a, a place for collaboration. The second play, uh, uh, role of the Open Lab is to have a um, what we call the Fashion Future Lab, which is these are just ideas we're playing around with, and we want a place to 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 work on it and have people come and 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 give us advice, input, and 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 comment on it. Uh, so it would be things like um, one of our projects is is what we call the the Farm to Garment project. We're trying to grow cotton. The whole project takes place in two 40-foot containers. So we grow cotton, we harvest it, we process it in, into in yarns and fibers, and we make garments with it. A farm to garment in two 40-foot uh, uh, containers using hydroponics and other technologies that we are uh, we're developing. And we're also uh, sequestering or using all the CO2 that we are generating in our labs as fertilizer, if you will, for for the, for, for the cotton growing process so that we offset the, the CO2 we create. Ideas like that, we want to play it out in live and in, in in real life to see if it works. And are there other things we can do? What is the synthetic idea, material to garment in in uh, in, in polyester or or, or 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 viscose or something like that? So so playing around with those ideas, and then and then the, the third piece of of the open lab, which is I think most of the the physical space of the open lab, is we're operating a recycling factory. A recycling factory with multiple recycling technologies, uh, a lot of which uh, uh, we developed in-house. So there will be a hydrothermal solution, what we call the green machine. So we will be processing about a ton and a, to a ton and a half of uh, post-consumer uh, clothes, uh, turn them into into uh, uh, yarns and fibers, uh, and and sending them off to be to be useful. Uh, again, we will be operating a sortation line that uses AI technology to identify. The materials, the blends, the the construction type of garment it is, and which will which and then we'll send the, the materials along uh, for the appropriate uh, methods for it to be separated, processed, and uh, back into to yarns and fibers. 
and we will have uh, we will be messing around with um, a series of robotic solutions, uh, AGV solutions, and smart material handling solutions, and so on and so forth. About in total, maybe two three tons of of processing capability a day. So not a very big factory, but doing real work and and working not only within the industry, but also with people that use soft materials. So so people that generate old uniforms. Uh, We have hospitality industry coming in with sheets and towels uh, for us to, to, to process. So we're very excited about it. That's opening up. And the open lab, this this whole factory slash big science experiment is being constructed in Hong Kong. And so, hey, if you've been to Hong Kong, you know Hong Kong is a small, crowded, expensive city with Very a lot of constraints. So. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of constraints to what you can discharge. Uh, uh, land is expensive, labor is expensive. What we want to do is how can we have as many solutions as we can, but in a small of a footprint so that uh, it's it's a proof of concept that if we can do this in Hong Kong, there is no city in the world that it can't exist in. So that's the idea. Yeah, I guess it, you're very lucky, though, that Hong Kong is quite diverse. Like you have mountains and cities. Like it's an amazing place. Honestly, I really, really like it. Um, but I do have a question about the farm to garment. Mm-hmm. Um, so you mentioned that you get the cotton and i was wondering where you get the cotton from we grow our own in hong kong we will grow it in the 240 foot containers one of the containers we will be growing cotton using hydroponics oh okay that's really interesting so it's very hong kong based you know where that project came from the project happened we we, this is the second version of the project the first version of this project happened in the middle of the pandemic. And I don't know if you were in, stuck in Hong Kong in the pandemic. We no. couldn't travel, couldn't go anywhere. Uh, and, and so all of our research scientists all of a sudden started working on things that are very low. And we came up with the idea, what if we have, uh, what if we can grow cotton anywhere in the world? Because, you know, cotton is is very picky. It has, you need the amount of sunshine, it needs water and difficult to transport. And then you can only get one or two harvests a year we wanted to see, can we grow cotton anywhere and can we harvest on demand so that we can save all that front end transportation and logistics and remove all the uh, uncertainties about how much you'll get that year uh, and pricing as well as quality and quantity. Uh, And so we started growing uh, the hardest, most difficult type of cotton you can grow. So we grew extra long staple cotton, Pima, Supima, Egyptian. And we were able to do that in, in a 40-foot container in, in Hong Kong. So so a couple of years ago, that was a proof of concept. So then we said, now that we can do that, what you know, what can we do with it? And and, and so we started messing around with uh, um, making the cotton grow healthier, making the cotton grow faster. We are uh, 90, 95% savings in water. We are uh, pesticide-free. Uh, we're using... Uh, micronutrients so very small quantities of, of of nutrients and then we're elevating the co2 uh, um, in the mix and what we intend to do is to pipe co2 into these containers to make the plants healthier so lots of fun things to to mess around with there amazing so i'm hearing a lot about you know sustainability circularity recycling reducing co2 emissions but also growing your own materials so i was wondering if you 
find a clear connection between bioeconomy and the innovations of HK Rita. Yeah, yeah, I, I, absolutely. I, I, I think what we are finding is that, um, first of all, we don't believe there is one silver bullet solution to uh, the, the sustainability, uh, circularity, the bio challenge that we as a world face because of our uh, industrial activities. So that we are working on, on multiple fronts to, uh, to find solutions. In the area, in this particular area, we have two general directions, what we call the less bad, more good direction. The less bad basically is what can we do to reduce or eliminate the harm that we are, we are already doing in the, in the world today because of these practices, because of the resources that we are we're expending. So, so a lot of that is, is just efficiency. Uh, how do we reduce uh, the, like the chemical waste, uh, other things that we're producing? The more good is to radically change the industry by looking for healthier, better alternatives, mostly bio-based uh, solutions. So cellulosic-based or protein-based solutions to replace a lot of the petroleum products that we use and, and a lot of the processes that we use today uh, that, that are more uh, resource intensive. We're currently making uh, yarns and as well as leather-like materials out uh, with bacteria. So we, we, have, we have yarns and fibers that we use food waste to, to make these yarns. Could that be could that be at scale? You know, if we just take all of our waste and create a new material at it. That that's the challenge. But but scale is the the challenge. All of these sounds great and sounds interesting, but if we don't scale, we're not making an impact. And how do you think that bioeconomy can contribute to the development of sustainable materials in the textile industry in general? In general, we have to we have to figure out how we can work, live and work in harmony with nature, right? We, we have to be a lot more sensitive to our use of resources. And we have to be, we have to figure out how we can make as low of a footprint uh, when we go about creating the products that we create, doing the things that we do in, in, in modern living. Uh, so, so that's sort of the, the resource and science part of it. I think also there's a lot to be done on the economic side of things too. A lot of what we do, we, we're not looking at the costs or the consequences too. So very, uh, very clearly, for example, the, the user is not paying for the disposal of a lot of the, the, the products that we use. And we ultimately, when we're finished with it, we throw away. There's a lot of resources that we use today that are mispriced. How can petroleum, which takes millions of years and is a non-renewable resource, be priced so cheaply, petroleum-based synthetic materials are the cheapest type of materials you can use to replace cotton, wool, and, and, and other materials like that. Surely that there's a mispricing there. Just figuring out the, 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 the pricing, the responsibility, who pays for what, who should do what, I think are all important things that we, we need to get right uh, or need to have better transparency. Yeah, and you mentioned previously that H&M uh, helped fund quite a lot of the projects. I was wondering right. if you've also uh, produced garments for H&M. 
So, so we work most, we, we have worked with H&M directly, but most of our partnership is with the H&M Foundation, which is the not-for-profit arm of, of it. We don't want to be, uh, we don't, we're not a commercial organization. Uh, they are one of our partners. We partner up with most of the, the larger uh, brands uh, globally. So, so H&M is one of them. They, they are a major contributor, but, but in the U.S. we work with a Gap. In the U.K. we work with Burberry. And in this part of the world, we'll work with just about all the major global manufacturers uh, uh, and so on and so forth. Our um, lists of partners are pretty broad from the luxury to the discount uh, from, from brands all the way to um, scope three suppliers and, and, and manufacturers. We, we are a research center, so we don't produce anything per se. We don't have the capacity to. Though we have in the past done small runs of product for brands if they want to test something out, we can do that. But we very quickly uh, are at capacity. Uh, we have built prototypes and have made and designed and make uh, small scale systems. Uh, and then uh, more recently, we have uh, provided engineering support to make uh, full-scale, industrial-scale systems. But, you know, those are always in partnership with an industrial partner. So what are the future prospects of HK Rita? Do you see it developing more from research to production in the future? <laughs> Don't give me ideas. Um <laughs> I, I think there's there's a lot of research, uh, useful research that we need to continue to to work on for years. I think that will always be a key part of our activities. We we have a great research team, a group of young scientists who are curious, who want to solve big, meaningful, and useful problems. I mean, that's the type of people who come and work at HK Rita. They they, they want. I joke. Everybody here wants to save the world. So, so we will do that, understanding that the science problem oftentimes is again a piece of the puzzle. The business case, it's the uh, how you tell that story. So they have a good marketing story. It's the logistics or the reverse logistics, and the the whole uh, consumption of of what we're producing that is important. I mean, we do want to make sure that everything that we do ends up in a useful place in, in the marketplace. So to the extent that we can support people doing that, we are very happy to do so. In your opinion, what role does the consumer demand play in deriving the adoption of mm -hmm. sustainable practices with regards to textile and the fashion industry? And would you say that this is a affordable option? Because you also mentioned that the petroleum-based garments are cheaper and also right. given fast fashion and everything. I think we're in this together. First of all, it, we can't blame just the brands or, or just the suppliers or just the consumers because I think all of us contribute to the solution because we all contribute to the challenge or, or contribute to the problem as well. The role of the consumer is to become smarter and smarter, more and more demanding and more and more uh, intentional in, in how we purchase. And, and I, I think if nothing else good came out of something like a global event like the pandemic, it is that it has taught us two important things. One, our, what we use, our apparel, our clothes, can not only make us look good, but it can also make us feel good. 
that if you if you add functionality and purpose to how you make uh, your your apparel choices, you can actually it will actually make you feel more secure. It will be more valuable to you. Uh, so so there's a lot of opportunities as we consume to ask questions and to demand uh, that that certain uh, options available, recycled content, uh, sustainable material, transparency and traceability in terms of the, the social uh, impact that this is making within the supply chain. The, the question you ask, is this only for the rich people <laughs> or or do we have to pay a premium to be sustainable? And I think that's a false, false choice. Uh, it is not whether you can be sustainable or cheap or affordable. We have to, as consumers, demand both. It has to be sustainable. It has to perform well. So it has to be comfortable and, and, and it's purposeful. And it has to be priced in a way that makes sense. And and the the challenge, uh, if if the consumer places that challenge uh, in the marketplace, I think there will be companies and brands that will step up and say, "We will solve that problem for you," and that's why you should use our product and our services. And that's where we can really efficiently use the marketplace to make these a a viable commercial business uh, a decision for brands. You know, if if we say look, the, uh, the economy isn't worldwide isn't that great uh, these last couple of years. Uh, we, have, we have a lot of concerns and, and you know, everything costs more. Electricity costs more, travel costs more. So we are going to consume less. Instead of buying five jackets a year, I'm going to buy three or something like that. But I want to get the best three and I want to get the most value out of the, the three. And so the, for the brands, it should be, I help me make a choice so that I will feel good. I want to be sustainable. I want to feel good about about my de- purchasing decision. I would think I create more value in my purchasing decisions and in my lifestyle decisions. I, you know, the last thing you want is somebody to be your consumer but feels bad or feels guilty when he buys something, yeah. right? That, that that is not a way to to create a loyalty uh, with with your brand. And then finally, I would say that we have a really conservative backward industry and that it's an opportunity for us to, to rise to the challenge. Nobody would buy a 10-year-old cell phone. You know, this generation, the technology is all improved and all that. But we are still selling T-shirts and sweatshirts that is made identical, identical to the way it was made in the 1990s, using the same engineering, using the same material. We haven't changed with the lifestyle uh, changes with with our, with our with our customers, and the opportunity is, how can we get in step uh, with the modern uh, lifestyle and the changing uh, market needs in the world that we live in today? Yeah, thank you very much for your insights. From what I understood, we should stand up to the big corporations and let them know that we want sustainable fashion at an affordable yeah. price. So before we wrap up, uh, where can our listeners find out more about HK Rita? Uh, HKRita.com. Uh, so go to HKRita.com. There is a pull down for the open lab. You'll see a lot of things that we're doing uh, as we build out the lab. You can visit us. We're on campus at the Polytechnic University in Hong Kong. Uh, look for us in, uh, in major industry events, especially around sustainability. We'll, we'll always be there. 
Amazing. Well, thank you very much, Edwin, once again, for your time and for sharing your insights and expertise with us. It's been quite a pleasure having you on our podcast. Thank you, Haley, for having, having us. Every success. Thank you for tuning in to Bioeconomy Matters. I would like to express our heartfelt gratitude to BioBeo, who proudly funds this podcast and supports our mission to share with you all that bioeconomy has to offer. Our podcasts are released bi-monthly on Wednesdays, so don't forget to subscribe and stay connected with us on social media. We are at b.y.a.eu on Instagram and at b underscore y underscore a underscore eu on Twitter or X. And remember, bioeconomy matters and you do too.